0: John, ESPN has a date for direct-to-consumer. Al Michaels should have a plan
1: for the future. And Netflix? In on the NBA? And our big get today, Andrew, Eli Manning. Hey, Eli, what do you think about being on the Marshand and Oran Sports Media Pod?
2: Oh, my goodness. You got to be kidding me. back
0: the marshan oran sports media podcast i'm andrew marshan sports media columnist for the new york post he's john oran the media reporter for the sports business journal in a little bit we'll have eli manning from the manning cast two-time sports emmy award winner also won a couple of super bowls um that i think will be enjoyable Uh, a lot of topics to cover espn direct to consumer nba plan with netflix al michaels
1: uh but first let's go who's Who's up? up who's down John, why don't you lead us off? All right, I'm going uh, to Fox Sports and Brad Zager, who uh, when the college football season started, I uh, interviewed Brad and he was uh, ODing on Deion Sanders in Colorado. They started the season with Colorado and, and, and rode that to ratings gold. Colorado had more press than any other team. They got big ratings and it was a great way to start the season. Well, Fox Sports, they're ending it with... Jim Harbaugh, or maybe not with Jim Harbaugh, but with the the, the University of Michigan, and the the, the right now the storylines around Michigan are taking over college football. Michigan Penn State game was the most viewed game of the of the day last Saturday when it was on uh in the noon window on Fox. The uh, Michigan Ohio State game is in uh, is in a little bit more than a week. And the big game this weekend coming up, College Park, Maryland. They're sending the big noon kickoff to uh, to College Park for yet another Michigan game. Three straight Michigan games with all the controversy that's that's surrounding from a uh, sign stealing and uh, and whether uh, whether or not we don't know as of the, this podcast whether or not Jim Harbaugh is going to be on the sidelines. He was suspended from the sidelines. They have an injunction and they're trying to hear it. And it's a uh, th- there are a lot of off field storylines that are going to draw the avid fans, the casual fans, and just casual uh, sports viewers. So uh, hats off to Fox for what are, is undoubtedly going to be just a ratings bonanza.
0: My who's up. I'm going to stay with Fox and Jason Benetti. Benetti, big news. Last week, he moves from the Chicago White Sox to the Detroit Tigers to be their play-by-play guy. Uh, still going to do around close to 130 games, I think a lot more money. Um, I think a problem in Chicago uh, with the White Sox and Jerry Reinsdorf uh, has always been kind of uh, giving announcers a hard time when they do national games. Uh, the Tigers, they wanted Benetti. Benetti's one of the best baseball play-by-play guys out there. So a real good move by the Tigers. Um, I have heard that the White Sox, are going to try to sign Mike Monaco from ESPN, um, who's very good as well. Uh, But Bonetti, an excellent move for him. And he's just been on the way up, left ESPN. Uh, He's a guy NBC thought about getting for that. Maybe Notre Dame role or uh, the big 10 role that went to Noah Eagle, Notre Dame. uh, They went with Jack Collinsworth Uh, might've been better um, with Bonetti, Uh, but Bonetti, Uh, With the big move in the Midwest, uh, going in the AL Central, first big free agent move, even though he had a year left on his Chicago contract, going from the White Sox to the Tigers.
1: All right, Andrew, I'm going to pick up the who's down. I'm going to give it to Steve Phelps of NASCAR. NASCAR picked the worst possible year to post the lowest ever viewership numbers in in, in, uh, in circuit history. NASCAR races, they're, they're getting around 3 million viewers. That's a pretty good number. That's actually a very good number uh, for television, but they can't run away from lowest ever, uh, w- w- which is out there. And this, of course, comes as they're negotiating a new deal, media rights deal. I'm told that, you know, as I've been saying for, for months, Fox and NBC are already on board. They basically have their handshakes in, in an agreement. Uh, the the remaining is about six races that's being carved out. Amazon and Turner are the two that are really lobbying for those. I give a slight nod to Turner, but Amazon is a uh, is still in there. So that there's there, we don't know where that's going yet. Uh, they're going to see an increase in what they're getting in a media rights uh, fee landscape. But as we've been talking about. The, the whole business right now for media rights is really shrinking. It's getting tougher. And the increase is not going to end up being as big as NASCAR originally hoped for about a year ago.
0: Okay, John, my who's down is Valley Sports Southwest. We love Valley Sports on the podcast. They haven't gotten a who's down in about five seconds. So they get one though. Now <laughs> this time though, it's not for their business plan failing. This is about um them Kind of censoring themselves uh one of their analysts on mavericks games brian damaris he had a tremendous rant about james harden and the harden going from team to team and kind of always pointing the finger at other people and maybe he should point him at himself and there's one here's a little bit of what damaris had to say
1: have you ever had those friends who had bad roommates over and over they complained about their bad roommates this guy's terrible the bad roommate here they never thought to be self-aware enough that they're the bad roommate. They're the problem. Hey,
0: James, you're the problem. Okay, After this, after this went viral, Bally uh, Sports Southwest, they lifted it off of social media. And and here's the thing. Look, it's not in my purview fully. So I even fully reported like what happened behind the scenes. Was it the team? Like who who really wanted this off? But it looks so bad. And, and again, sometimes... You know, PR people know what to do, but their bosses don't listen. So you don't know again what the intricacies are. But once it's out there, someone needs to explain whoever wants it to be taken down. Once it's out there, it's better just to leave it up because you just draw more attention to yourselves. And Bally Sports Southwest looks really small here. I get it. You could argue Damaris was like personal, but it really wasn't. He just was, it was very cutting and, um, accurate, but it wasn't really personal. It was just really well done, and that's why it um hit so many people the right way, and why uh it got shared so much. And so uh, now instead of having like, oh, that's good content, it's like, well, what are they doing? What what is the problem here? Um, and and like you you hope that you know there's nothing bad for damaris who just had a good rant that was not even a rant i mean I, I didn't want it was just analysis about james harden and i think what he said about yeah maybe it's him maybe he's the issue why you know there's all these problems with every team he he goes to uh so uh my who's down bally sports southwest
1: all right and andrew that leads us to topic one the nba big news uh no no to <laughs> Topic one is ESPN direct to consumer. Oh, we're not. We've talked about that forever. We're not going into that, are we? <laughs> is, this, is this real? Did you
0: plan that? Because if you uh, did, I'm very impressed.
1: Yeah, I came at the at the. Uh, I was just like, ah, that's how I'm going to get into top. Uh, the, the that's topic. good. All right,
0: yeah. that's not what topic one is, though.
1: Let's keep going. Topic one: uh, ESPN direct to consumer. Right now, that uh, Bob Iger put down the gauntlet. He said publicly 2025, it's going to be very hard for ESPN to launch in 2026 or 2027 or whenever. It looks like it's going to be 2025. I believe we did. We do have a bet going on when it's going to happen, uh, but we're, we're, we'll wait another two years to see whether or not they actually uh, get, the, get the launch done.
0: Let's just note, everybody listening, um, how ungracious – John Oran, just won. it hasn't happened
1: yet. It well, hasn't okay. happened yet. All
0: right, let's 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 make it clean. All right, first, so last, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm taking over this. Right, you tried to skip the topic last week, uh, at the earnings call. Bob Iger clearly said that ESPN will go direct to consumer in 2025, um, which you're not gonna say it, but I will. I reported. OK, for a long time, b- back before some of these newspapers even knew about this subject. We said this a couple of years ago that in the next five years they would be um, this is in 2021 that they'll go direct to consumer. Now, Iger has said it uh, 2025. You're right. They haven't done it yet. You don't have to pay up at the steak dinner um, that we have for the for the bet, um, but you don't have to pay up yet. I agree with that. However, he's, he's the hey, CEO a- a- Andrew,
1: do, do they have a do they have an Outback Steakhouse in uh, Manhattan? <laughs>
0: Exactly. Whatever. You you can do whatever you want. If you don't want to welch on the bad, if you don't want to go to the finest place, it's fine. Give it a loop. Give it a loop. But here's the thing that we need to understand. Let's let's get into it. Okay. Enough about us. ESPN going direct to consumer in 2025. What is your take on the impact of that?
1: The devil's in the details, which uh, sorry to throw a cliche out there. Um, one of the reasons that I have been so skeptical about the uh direct to consumer launch is because my my whole background comes from the cable industry and there are uh, there are big cable companies that have uh, ironclad contracts that espn is going to go ha- this is going to be a really tough negotiation but it's one that they're uh that, that it looks like they um the the what happened with charter sort of set set the table for this and so the negotiations that are soon to come with Directv with Comcast, they're all gonna be based around how these cable operators, how these satellite operators are going to be able to make this direct-to-consumer service available to their own customers. And and there are still like really tough negotiations to move forward because while everybody looks at Charter and says, okay, that's that's the framework of a deal, the deal-making among uh, cable networks and cable operators, is the ugliest, uh, messiest, uh, and uh, toughest negotiations that, that I've, I've seen out there. And so uh, I think that the idea that Iger went out there and publicly gave a date suggested like that, that, they're, that they're, that's where they're going. I would assume that it's going to be priced high enough that they're going to want to keep people in the cable bundle. And I would assume that ESPN's uh, direct-to-consumer is going to be made available for free to cable subscribers, or or at if not for free at a very small markup. So that if you're within that cable bundle and you're authenticated, then you'll sort of still be able to watch that that um that as well. But again, those are deals that are going to be renegotiated and they're going to be tough to 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 hammer out.
0: So when I look at 2025 now, I, the thing I'm watching for is the bundle. And what I mean by that is how is all this going to be bundled together? You know, we've seen what ESPN Plus has done and they're around, I think, 25, 26 million uh, homes right now, subscribers. How do you bundle um, ESPN You know, when you talk about the Spectrum deal, that is definitely um, something of a blueprint I think that ESPN wants to use, which makes them more hand in hand with their um, distributors now, their longtime distributors. And I do think that's kind of where the strategy goes. Um, And then I think something that we've talked about a lot, what happens to these local team rights? Can ESPN get their hands on these local team rights where they try to recreate a bundle um that becomes even stronger. And I do think I don't know if they'll be able to do this, but if you if they are to get a digital partner, um, you know, obviously the apples and the Amazons, but whomever, if they are to get a mobile partner, you know, the Verizons, the team mobiles, if they are to do both those things, um, and then if they are to get rights to these local games, it's a pretty powerful package that they could provide in terms of get all these games and then for an extra $5 extra $10 a month you can get your local teams that does seem to work and then you start bundling with Disney plus um and Hulu and you know how do they make that work so it's understandable to um to consumers uh so they can you know they want these packages one thing that i think is overrated in my opinion the idea that there's So many people who are um, right now going to just leave the bundle because ESPN goes direct to consumer. I just think when you look at it and we've seen it on the regional sports networks, which have not done well, we don't really have exact numbers. We know Rob Manfred said about the Padres that they had 18,000 subscribers, but everything I've heard anecdotally is that these numbers are not good for these RSNs in terms of direct to consumer. And what that proves is that going it alone does not work. You need to be in a bundle of some sort. And I think that's what the leagues understand. That's what um the digital players understand. That's what ESPN, Max, they all understand this. How does it all come together? And that's what those decisions over the next year or two, they're gonna shape not only media but sports in in, in large respects.
1: There are nothing but questions there. So I, I'm I'm actually outlining my storyboard right now of the stories I'm gonna go for. What happens? To, Hold on, let me
0: get my paper out so I can just do them before you pen And ahead.
1: paper, ready? Hit record now. What happens to all of the rights that are exclusive to ESPN Plus? The Ivy League has a, has a deal on ESPN Plus. If ESPN and all of ESPN goes direct to consumer and they have NBA local rights and they have the NHL um, um out-of-market package on there, do they need those, those small college conference rights or those international soccer rights to help build an audience there? Yes, I would say
0: yes, yes. Those help because they're not big money, but they're sticky.
1: Okay, let's go to let's go to a, a big money thing then. UFC is a deal that's coming up. UFC undeniably has helped uh, goose the number of subscribers at ESPN Plus. If if ESPN just goes direct to consumer, do they need that that that, that especially at that expense uh, that that UFC UFC is going to go for? I mean these these are sort of questions that, that are that are certainly going to be out there. And the, the one thing about the, the Ivy League is not not a lot of money, but the Ivy League plus the, you know, uh, Mac plus the, you know, you keep adding on the conferences, you know, that does turn into a, 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 a cost center. And like, if, if you're not getting the, the numbers on that, then they're going to take, they're, they're going to be really vigilant about uh, getting rid of those. They'll
0: so be able to see. I mean, it's like all this stuff now.
1: They've, they've already seen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That you could see, all right, this is how many people are watching this. This is important programming to this amount of people. So this is how much it's worth. But I think most of these things, you have one thing that you, in a bundle, You there's one thing that you really pay for, whatever that is. And then you get everything else. That's the, the key to the bundle working, um, you know, and just how you watch cable TV. The the problem that I think that, you know, when you go it alone, if you're say, the, yeah, even if you're the Yankees, is that if someone gets the Yes app and then they, they figure out, well, I'm actually not watching Yankee games, then they cancel it. When you're cable, you didn't do that.
1: What does go it alone mean for you? Just ESPN, or do, do you no, consider I mean, a bu- do you consider a bundle to be ESPN, Disney Plus, and Hulu?
0: Yeah, that'd be a bundle. I mean, I also think there's a sports bundle where you have so much, and this is where ESPN has a chance to perhaps win. Is that you have so much that you have to have it? It, it to me, the bundle works is that you have to. It's like not even quite like when we were in our teenage years. Now, remember, I'm much younger than you, but like so, you're like in college maybe. <laughs> um, the but you know, the idea that most people you knew had cable wasn't like a thing. Like, you know, basically every you know, maybe you had one friend who didn't have cable, but everyone else had cable. I think at one point there's more people with cable than indoor plumbing. I, I believe that might have been a stat at one point. So, but that's what you need. You know, that's where like Amazon to me, when we get we okay, get let's move into the NBA right now. Amazon to me has an advantage because a lot of people have Amazon Prime. So the the base is not. Um is big. And that brings me to your story that you had this week. NBA, uh, and Netflix, um, just beginning little talks maybe about the in-season tournament. The thing that the that Netflix brings to such a deal is that they do have a lot of subscribers, so it's not as if like there's not a big base that Netflix has. Now, are there a lot of people who are gonna subscribe to Netflix for this in-season tournament? That I would question personally if I'm Netflix. Like, I don't know how many more people you have that you don't have, maybe internationally, but I don't know if you're bringing a lot more extra people for an in-season tournament if you're Netflix, at least domestically.
1: Andrew, the key word that you said there was domestically because the idea is something that I didn't know before this is that the NBA, similar to the MLS, when it when it did its deal with the Apple, all of its international rights deals are all ending uh, by 2025. So those are going to be available. So if you're Netflix, potentially, if you want the rights to the in season tournament, you can buy the global rights to an in season tournament. And Netflix has more than 247 million uh, subscribers worldwide. We had a, a, a media conference, the Media Innovators Conference in New York. We had Bill Koenig, who was my who's up last week. Uh, he was at the conference and he talked about the de- definition of reach that was changing. Uh, And and it's true because when we talk about reach, we we, you and I we always talk about the broadcast networks ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC. You know, he's looking at Prime Video, which has more than two hundred million subscribers worldwide. Uh, I don't know what what Apple TV Plus is, but worldwide, it's a a pretty significant number. All of a sudden, you're you're looking at these streaming numbers and and the amount of people that streaming can hit, and it becomes uh, the 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 reach becomes a lot bigger. Than anything the TV networks can compete with
0: but we still think though ESPN we still think Turner we still think third package digital Amazon probably with the advantage right now NBC possible you keep bringing up Netflix which might help drive up the price John um I mean I know they're real they're real Netflix
1: uh I don't no, know. I, I will
0: say, let me just say I'm skeptical on Netflix, but
1: maybe look, look if you read my story, I'm I'm not saying Netflix is getting it. You I'm were, saying no, that, you were that, fine. that Netflix story. approached and, and has an interest in this. And what I find to be interesting about that though, Andrew, is that Netflix, like we, we see a window into how they're they're gonna get into sports at some point. They have an ad tier, uh, and and live sports is something that they can sell ads around, and, and live sports is something that uh especially the NFL. And soccer is something that uh, all these streaming companies have shown, you know, draws draws audiences. Uh, and talk to anybody at Amazon. Talk to uh, you know the the Apple TV uh, as well.
0: Can I interrupt you for a second? Can I ask you a question? How much do you think an in season tournament? Just the approximate. Nobody, don't think this is the bank. Anybody like Netflix would have to pay for per year for an in season tournament.
1: Oh, I I would I can't even I don't even want to venture a guess on on that. I. You think five hundred uh, million? I, I, again, you're, you're going to throw out numbers. I, I don't, I don't All right, know. Let's to just say it's
0: 500 million. million. Would they be better off putting 500 million into the next stranger things, et cetera, and just
1: throwing a lot of darts out there or going for. Now, this is the, uh, the pitch that the leagues get. It's like, you can try to get the next stranger things, but for every stranger things, you have nine that are total failures that you spend a lot of money on that didn't work. If you get the NBA, you're guaranteed a certain number of of viewers that that come with it, you can do this uh shoulder programming around it, like a drive to survive type series around the the in the in game. Okay, those training. are
0: overrated, just for the record. Go ahead.
1: I, I, I by the way, so you. Yeah, I mean, you, look, Netflix. I'm just going through the Beckham.
0: They, Beckham, I found it very enjoyable. Um, I thought it was very good. I recommend watching it, even though you know I think he's a producer on it, but um, it was very enjoyable. Those are good, but Netflix gets way too much credit. They all all the networks do. You know, ESPN has been doing 30 for 30s forever. Um, you know, they, they all do their own different documentaries. Now, they've done some good ones. I mean, Formula One especially, um, you know, got a lot of rave reviews. But it's just overrated, like, how much of an impact. Can we see some viewership numbers? I'd love to see those because I know what approximately the viewership numbers are for some of these really successful 30 for 30s. And they're not as great as, like, they're not. Like, the, to even mention them with live sports is Ridiculous.
1: I tend to agree with you. I, I I really do. I I do know that every single league takes a look at not just drive to survive, but think about a hard knocks, like the 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 idea that that markets the NFL. Not that the NFL needs a lot of marketing, but back in the day, but hard knocks
0: also doesn't do great numbers.
1: Uh, back in the day, it did. It did back in the room, day. But... but this is two thousand twenty three. But the, well, the hard knocks is sort of a, a little bit long in the tooth now. It's like uh, you know, you get something new to come out and 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 get in there all of the leagues. I, I tend to, again, I tend to agree with you. I'm I feel like there's to... like too many executives and people have to justify
0: their jobs in these things. And like, they, they manage for each other instead of actual, what the numbers say. I think there's a, a lot of businesses, like there's a lot of managing up and man, you know, trying to like impress each other. And I'm not saying those aren't good. They are good. But if I'm making a decision that would not be anywhere close to where in my decision, like, oh, wow, they could do like an in-season NBA, um, uh, behind the scenes thing. Like, those other shows worked also predominantly because we aren't interested in those shows. Like we're not interested, like we're like not, there's a lot of people like F1. Don't get me wrong. You F1 crazies. Okay. I know there's a lot of people who love F1, but, <laughs> but when they introduced the stories and I watched like half of that t- series, those are interesting because we're introduced to new people. The NBA is a little bit more difficult to introduce new storylines and more behind the scenes stuff of stuff we don't know. It's, it's over covered. Okay. Adam Silver had comments about how it's covered. He doesn't like it enough. Um, everyone wants to cover sports media, but, uh, but bottom line is, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting too much off of this, but I just feel like I have to say like the Netflix, there's just way too much. Like Netflix is in sports. They're not in sports. I mean, they're doing a golf thing with like F1 drivers and somebody else, and like live sport. That's not live sports, guys. Come on.
1: So I'm I'm just telling you that at Netflix, uh, when it comes when it comes to uh, negotiating for rights or at least kicking the tires on rights, that's a big part of their pitch is that they're going to go in and they're going to create all this programming around it. The programming generally is very positive for the league, uh, and 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 that's a pitch. I'm just telling you, it resonates with the leagues and it resonates with the conferences. I
0: really, you know what? I know there's a lot of network executives who listen to our show. Guys, if you're listening and gals, um you should put programming around these sport sporting events. I know you've never thought of that or done that. That would well, be this, amazing. Is a,
1: this is more than a pre-game and post-game show. This is like this is a Netflix style documentary. I mean you, you certainly you 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 think that the Netflix documentaries are are a different form of documentaries than than we have than we have seen.
0: Yeah, I mean they're a little, like you said they're very positive. Um and they give you behind the scenes <laughs> look at things where nobody's going to look back. You know, look and I mean Look, if the NFL is smart, I'm going to say, you know, again, because I know there's people listen, they should create something like a films division where they like kind of uh, where they have all the historical video of all. Oh, wait, NFL films. Oh, yeah, they have that. OK, enough <laughs> of this. OK, I, I mean, great for Netflix. They've done a couple of documentaries. Everyone else does, too. All right, let's move hey, on.
1: But, but before we go on. All right, Andrew, we could stay on this topic, I think, for another 15 minutes. But let's go into a big story that that you had in, in the New York Post uh, about. Al Michaels, you you uh, actually interviewed Al and talked about his calls this year and last year. If you go on social media, he's getting a lot more criticism than certainly somebody as great as Al Michaels is used to. And you talked to him about how he's winding down his career. Take us take us through that uh, interview. Take us through the story and and sort of where you see Al Michaels going.
0: Yeah, so Al Michaels, he signed a three-year contract with Amazon uh, to do Thursday Night Football with Kirk Herbstreet. Um, and, you know, it hasn't been the same Al Michaels. Like we we talked about it at one point. He asked me, well, what do you think? How am I I'm doing? And, you know, in the past, I used the analogy, um, you know, he was throwing, you know, his peak 97. And then his later years at NBC, I would write that he's in the low 90s still, but, you know, on the black. And now I told him, I think you're throwing 85 at times. I feel like the enthusiasm isn't there all the time. My major point with this um, is that, Al Michaels might be the best ever to call the NFL on television. Um, and I think with these things, you want to be a year early than a year late. Um, and he'd be better off um, if he said next year's going to be my last season um, because he he could lose the narrative here. Okay. Because usually these things do not take a U-turn um, once they start. Um, that's very unlikely for that to happen. Um, and, You know, Al says that he's doing the games the same way, uh, which I don't think is fully true, but I also think the games um, aren't as good. You know, he's been doing the top game for basically three decades, dating back to Monday Night Football with ABC and then moving to NBC on Sunday night. Um, Now they have some good games this week. They happen to have a really good one. Um, And then they have some. And, you know, it's become a thing, which I don't think is good. Um, when a guy's making between like half a mil and a mil per game. Well, Al Michael survived the Bears and the Panthers. Like that shouldn't be a thing. Like, you know, Al is a legend um and deserves all the credit he has received. But his job to me is not to promote the game, but it's also not to degrade the game. And that's not like being like an NF. He's like the only announcer could get away with it. Any other announcer in the NFL would say stop doing that um because he's Al. But I think what he loses sight of and people who kind of like that is we're all tuning in to watch the game. And most of us have a reason for tuning in. Either you like the team, you have a bet on the game, but you're into the game. And so and he hasn't over he, you know, he'll he'll argue he hasn't done that, you know, too much. Um, but that that's the major point that I made. And and I think, you know, he and Herb Street, you know, he didn't necessarily want Herbstreet. Uh he wanted Collinsworth, he wanted Aikman. Uh, he didn't really want a rookie, but I think Sean McVay would have been of interest to him. Um, and then they they went with Herb Street who I thought would be better like I, you know I, he's a college guy, but I thought he'd be better feels like he's just kind of dropping in um and doing these games and there's just not he I think with a higher energy uh, play by player herb Street might sound better. Uh, but um, it just hasn't been great and herb Street you know his stated goal at the beginning said to me was he wanted them to be the best broadcast in sports you know, I don't know if it's the best broadcast on Thursday nights. Um, So it's, you know, they got to, so it hasn't been great. So that, that's, that was the essence of the column.
1: Let me uh, say one thing in Al's defense is uh, I talk about a lot, a lot of times about, you know, the big game voice and somebody that's been a part of my sports viewing since the early eighties. So, well, since the 1980, uh, uh, you know, hockey game and uh, some of the, you know, the baseball world series after that, the um energy, might not be there like it used to be it certainly doesn't doesn't appear to be there like it used to be but the voice still is and so as somebody that's just kind of tuning in especially tuning into a brand new I was going to say network but to Amazon which is yep. you know just producing it for, for for the first time hearing something so somebody so familiar it's like a warm glove and I'm I'm willing to as a as sort of a casual Thursday viewer, I'm willing to forgive some mistakes. I'm willing to forgive some lack of energy much more than I would if it was just kind of a a younger person that that, that's voice doesn't sort of resonate with me and make me feel a certain way.
0: Well, let me be clear. And I said this, like Al can still do it. Like he, he, you know, he's not as good as he once was. Can he still do it? He can. It's just that these things generally do not take U-turns. They generally get worse, not better. And so I always... Like I would say to get out in front of it it just takes all the, again, it's his life. He should do what he wants. You don't, I don't think living for legacy and all that stuff, it's his life. He can do what he wants. And obviously Amazon and the NFL, they can decide what what they want, but he didn't necessarily want this job. He wanted first to stay at NBC. Uh, Then he tried to get the Fox job. He was maybe going to, if Joe Buck doesn't go to ESPN, he probably ends up there and they end up with Amazon and um, it's a little off-Broadway him. And so um I just think that you get a little bit ahead of it it's better for him in my opinion. That the people close to him they told him, you know what? That's he doesn't he said he didn't want a big parade. Um he doesn't want a big send-off fine. Um doesn't need to have that, but I just think you get ahead of it and then it just it becomes all gravy. But again, he want he might want to do it for a much longer time. I think what the plan that I said would work out better.
1: All right, let's go to Eli.
0: All right, John, let's bring in the big get Eli Manning, two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Emmy Award sports, Emmy Award winner. Pretty good, Eli. Uh, yeah. Of course, the Manning cast on ESPN2 uh, has his own college football places for uh, ESPN+. Plus. He and his brother Peyton, uh, big TV stars. Uh, our pleasure, Eli, to have you come on the Marshall and Oran Sports Media Podcast.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I'm excited for
1: this. Where are the Emmys, Eli?
2: Ah, uh, that's a good question. You know, that's just like it, it's one of those deals. You know, when you're playing football. It's never a dream of mine to win an Emmy. I didn't. I like <laughs> No possibility of me ever even having the opportunity to win an Emmy. It wasn't. It was not in my mindset at all. But I definitely, I do have it. They're in my office. Uh, and and uh, proud of them, and excited, and and knowing that this is my world now. But where are the Super Bowl rings? Super Bowl rings are in my in my house. I try not to be too specific and, and you know and, and tell someone so they can have like a a uh, pipeline to, if they want to come find them one day. It was it was funny though a few a few years ago we moved we moved houses and um like three years ago and I kind of had some stuff and you know Super Bowl rings. I'm like hey I'm gonna take these with me so I had them out kind of in my in my. Uh, in my office area and my kids, they came in, they're like, What are these? I'm like, Oh, these are the Super Bowl rings. They're like, You got rings for the Super Bowl also? <laughs> like, we've seen the trophies, we've seen the Super Bowl MVP trophies. We didn't know you had rings, and they're like wearing it and running around. So they don't they don't come out all that often.
1: <laughs> well, I want to go back. I uh and longtime listeners of this pod know that I'm I'm a big fan of the Manning cast. That's how I watch uh Monday night football. I I Love getting in there and just watching it like in your living room with you. When Peyton came to you a couple of years ago with this idea, how did he pitch you on it? What what, what was the idea? I think the idea was just to to watch football how
2: we watch football. If we were together, um, kind of how we watched it growing up, even now, if we, even if we're not together and we're both watching a game, happen to watch the same game, we'll call the next day and like – analyze like what went wrong and, and, you know, Hey, what could they have done differently? The scenario of a, the two minute drive, a four minute drive, Did they threw it on this situation when they should have run all those things. We always talk, talk ball like that. And so I think that was the idea It's like, let's watch it the way we would watch it. We don't have to talk about the first uh first and 10 run for two yards. Like we don't have to analyze that. We don't, we don't care about that. We would never talk about that if we were watching it, but You know, we can talk about two minute drives, third down plays, just what what's going through the mind of a quarterback in this situation. Are they calling two plays in the huddle? And then, you know, Snoop Dogg just might pop in the room. Also, that happens all the time when we were growing up. Snoop Dogg (laughs) might just come in and watch a few watch a few games with us. And so that that was the idea, which I was excited about. I really had no interest in doing the regular broadcast, but doing this with my brother and Watching football, how we watch football, very comfortable. I, I don't have to know the name of every single player on the team. Um,
1: and and th- this is uh, it's been fun to do this. Was there a light bulb moment? Was there a moment where you uh realized that this was going to be successful? I think the
2: I think I had a feeling it might be successful when the very first week that we that we uh we did this, and Peyton was nervous, as you can imagine, he's over prepared and he's like, We don't have enough stuff, we don't have enough like skits going on. And like, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, Peyton, there's a football game. Like we're going to talk football. We don't know. We can't just know exactly what we're going to say all the time. Things are going to come up in the course of the game. But he's like, no, we need some stuff. So he had this great, you know, I don't know, this idea that, hey, I'm going to you call a play to me. I'll have the helmet on and we'll kind of. T- you know, teach the, the 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 fans or the people watching what what it's like. What's the quarterback hearing, and then you know he can, how he calls the play to the huddle. So of course he tries to put the helmet on. It doesn't <laughs> fit, and it's like he's missing plays, and they got a big play, and it's total chaos. He's frustrated, and and I remember like the next week we had like a little debriefing. Uh, about, hey, what went well? What do we need to do better? What do we need from the producers? It was a whole brand new show. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I think we should do that helmet idea again. That real, that worked really well. And they're like, (laughs) yeah, it didn't work great, but it was also like the most viewed thing on social media and what everybody was talking about. It was like the best part of the show. I'm like, oh, okay. So we need more really bad ideas and we'll have a (laughs) successful show. I'm like, that sounds, I can come up with a ton of bad ideas. This is, this is going to be great.
0: Is, Is that when you decided to give everyone the finger? (laughs)
2: <laughs> and guess, is that why you won the emmy well yeah exactly i i guess you know i give a lot of credit to, to jimmy pataro to bert uh magnus for for really you know putting us out there giving us a shot with this idea from espn but also and not telling us any rules of broadcasting there was no like hey there's a couple of things you gotta know about broadcasting you know, don't, you know, don't give the bird, don't curse, <laughs> don't talk about a streaker if he's on the field and like someone tackles, don't mention that, like none of that was talked about and told like, hey, don't do any of these things, either the no-nos, like we had zero coaching, there was like, go out there, figure it out, and um, you know, I learned through the double bird experience, I you know, said my apology afterwards, but also learned that since I did it in context, meaning I wasn't like giving you the bird. I was saying a fan was giving me the bird. I was just showing what they were doing. There's like a little loophole in the system there where you don't you don't get in too much trouble. It's all in the context, Andrew.
0: There you go, exactly. Now we always see, you know, the difference between the two of you. Um, we saw it, you know, as players as well. But why? Why personality-wise, do you think? You guys are so different in terms of just how you look at, like, it seems to me, you tell me if I'm wrong, in terms of how you approach life and, and how you even you approach the show and just preparation. And, you know, it just, it's it's pretty interesting considering your brothers.
2: Yeah, man, I, th- I guess it's just always, it's just always been that way. Peyton has always been like the, that super type A, just, you know, Almost, yeah, overprepared, very worried about everything, you know, just kind of thinking about every possible scenario that could could maybe happen, um, you know, stuff that has zero chance of happening, he's still going to prepare for it and, and just wants to have tons of information. And I think maybe just growing up and seeing him and like how stressed he was all the time about everything, I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that route. Um, I'm still gonna be very prepared. I work very hard. I'm very competitive. I just don't always kind of show it. It just I I really don't want to give hardly any emotions, whether it's I'm I'm winning a Super Bowl or I just throw four interceptions. Kind of have the same um, you know mindset and the same level going on 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 my emotions that I'm displaying, and so I I think it's just the way it's always been and, and. I think you could, there's not one way to have success. There's not one personality, there's not one, you know, way to do things. And I just understand, you know, as I started having success in high school or in lower school, even middle school with with stuff I said I can I can still go this route and be successful. I don't have to be like my big brother even though he's having the most success. He's the number one you know recruited player in high school. He's the number one pick in the NFL. He's winning MVPs. I said, but I can't I can't be a different person. I can't try to, you know, be someone I'm not. That'll come even worse off to players. You got to be genuine. You got to be yourself.
0: Now we all know your dad was one of the greatest college players of all time. Uh had a good NFL career, had some you know tough teams to play with. Um, but he also down in New Orleans was a pretty big broadcaster doing the radio games and then had a chance to be on NFL primetime with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson could have been a part of that crew chose not to do, I think to watch your games if I'm not, Mistake and did not want to be away on the weekends so just growing up in terms of broadcasting like how big a part of your life I mean obviously the football was number one I would say you know I, I presume but how big was broadcasting in terms of watching what was going on watching your dad and then you know watching the networks
2: yeah I mean I think we definitely we definitely watched a ton of sports growing up and and, and especially football I mean Sunday Saturday and Sundays was hey we're, we're watching the big games and and we were into it and so we definitely we definitely listened. We, you know, we we would go to the Saints games growing up and with my dad, he would go into the booth and I'd be be there with Peyton and, and Coop watching the game. We we're in the stands kind of just that was that was our moment. Uh, my mom didn't want to go. She just kind of dropped us off or or maybe picked us up if my dad had to stay later. Um and you know, so just being being around sports, being around football is always important. if, if the uh, if the Saints were away, we'd kind of mute the regular TV and listen to my dad on the radio. uh you know him, Jim, him uh, Jim Henderson calling the games. And I think so we definitely knew what was going on, listened to it, but I also, it was something that, you know, for, for the same reason my dad didn't go kind of all the way into the full broadcasting and eventually stopped is that he wanted the weekends to be around us. He wanted to go to our high school football games. He wanted to go um, and, and be, a, you know, go to our college games as we were doing that. And if he was broadcasting, if he was away every weekend, he would have missed out on a lot of stuff. And so that that always um i always remember that remember that now probably why i didn't want to get into the regular broadcasting also you know having to be gone 20 weekends every year no home games and to do this i do it on on monday nights uh i have dinner with the family i i you know the kids usually come down into the basement with me for for, you know 30 40 minutes beforehand they're running around they're playing sports they're throwing the football around i got to include my daughter in in the show last night so i think this is a much more family friendly way and 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 it's not a stressful situation for me it's something i truly enjoy to doing and i get to do it with my brother
1: Eli, I want to build off that question uh, for, for a second. You, you uh, were, of course, quarterback in New York, a star quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback in the biggest media market in the uh, in the United States. How did you approach dealing with the press?
2: I think I learned early on that you, you just you, you can't read everything going on. You you gotta have you know have an idea of what you know what someone's saying about you. You can kind of figure it out by the questions they're asking you after a game or in the media, what they, what they might be writing, but whether, whether I had the best game of my life or I had the worst game uh, of my life, you know, reading what everyone's saying about me is not going to help the scenario. I got to listen to my coaches. I got to do my uh, self-analysis, self-evaluation of my play, things I need to improve on, you know, rely on your players and your teammates. And and that's the people who are going to give you the information, give you the criticism, or the advice to help you get better you know the media they're gonna you know especially in new york you play two good games in a row they're saying hey you're the mvp great decision you play one terrible game they're like bust Bad mistake should have never drafted them should have not should have made the trade so if you get caught up in that it's just gonna wear you down and and just you know either give you a big head or make you think you're terrible so just try to you know, use, use my family, talk to Peyton, my parents and, and my teammates to to get me
1: through all those times. Were there any specific reporters that you were friendly with that you would sort of go to and and, and work with in, in a different way? No, I, I, I mean, I knew,
2: knew all their names was, was friendly to them, but I don't know. I kind of always felt that I needed to keep my distance a little bit. I was not the, I was not the person, Hey, I, you know, I was going to give my, my, my cell phone out or they could reach me um and th- that just wasn't wasn't my style I you know, always just kind of knew you know a little hesitant on who you could really trust uh doing that and there's some now I, I you know since retiring you know have have you know guys that I've you know known for 20 years and and I'll, I'll reach out to but um you know if there's something going on but you know try to try to keep my distance
0: I covered the Yankees for for a good amount of time and so I covered Derek Jeter um, and even before, like you know, a lot of people I think you know, New York, we were very focused on you. So, you know, your first year, early years, you know, weren't as successful as they as they got. But I always noticed that you kind of had a jeter-like quality um that people like when you win Super Bowls, but maybe you don't appreciate when you're not when you're throwing interceptions. Um, and did you watch Derek? Did you talk with Derek? It was something that you modeled yourself after because I always felt Derek. Who does have a personality, but with the media was always politely aloof, always available, but um, wasn't going to fill up your notebook uh, necessarily. Um, yeah. so wh- where did, what's your take on that?
2: No, definitely. De- uh, Derek kind of wrote the uh, wrote the book on on how to handle New York and the media and the limelight, and and obviously had a ton of success. Um, but you know, I think the way he treated the media, like you said, he was he was always available, always willing to talk to them. Never said too much, um, uh, gave them answers, but wasn't, you know, making the headlines, wasn't calling people out. He took, he took the blame when when there was blame to be, you know, to be accepted. And he also dished out all the credit when when things were going well. And so I think that's that's kind of the way you do it as a as a quarterback, as a head coach. Um also I think both those two positions as a shortstop of the Yankees you're probably going to get too much credit when things are going well and too much blame when things are going bad. And and so you just got to kind of make sure you're doing the opposite. You're, you're spreading it out and you're accepting it um, at times and understand you got the, you know, we have the big shoulders. We can handle this. It's not going to affect my performance the next day, the next week. And he was definitely taught to him uh, was around him as a young player, watched him and just how he handled everything. He was a great teammate. The teammates respected him and he always had their back
0: when you look at the Giants right now, and if you were, if they, Joe Shane, you know, the GM, um, and Brian Dable the coach, um, if they said, hey, Eli, what should we do here? What, what, how do we turn this thing around? You know, what, what, is, what, what would you, what would be the advice? You know, obviously not that easy, just one little thing, but what would be the advice in terms of the situation they're in?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation. I think you just, you just keep, you keep fighting. You find ways to, Hey, how do, how how can we stay competitive how can we keep games close uh how can we rally the team and and just get something um you know more you know offensively we have a a, a free agent you know rookie quarterback you know getting his first start it's that's a tough situation and on an offense that even when you had you know ha, had daniel jones and all the starters wasn't wasn't playing all that well you have offensive linemen been out you have injury bugs going on and so it's just, uh, you know, how how can we keep the games close? How can we get competitive? Hit some big plays at times. Obviously, you need your defense to, you know, keep them in games. And and so, this last stretch, uh, just hey, motivate the guys. That's when you. That's when the leaders have to be the best leaders. That's when the coaches have to be the best motivators. And just understand, hey, you're gonna have to practice every single every single day. You're gonna have to show up. You're gonna have to do the work. You have to do all this stuff. Hey, let's go, let's go compete on Sunday. That's the fun day. That's a fun day to go out there, make plays, show what your abilities are all about. And so, you know, just getting them playing hard and competing, I think is the number one priority right now from from the executive sides of this.
0: Now, when they drafted you, that was you know, turned out to be franchise changing, led to two Super Bowls. When you look at the situation, they have a quarterback with Daniel Jones, who I know you know well, um, and then, you know, potentially having a top draft choice. What circumstances would you look at the quarterback position and say, you know what, we got to move on and and maybe look at one of these young guys if it gets to that? How, how would you look at that situation?
2: Well, I mean, I look at the situation that they, you know, last year they made a decision. They, they, they saw Daniel Jones, they're around him. They had him for a year and they trusted that hey, this is a kid that has a, a bunch of upside. He's still, you know, in the first year of the offense, played extremely well. He can run, he's tough. Uh, he can make make the throws. Just, you know, unfortunately, this was a, a, a tough year, you know, with injuries, with uh with this, the way it the way it went. And so I think they, you know, you still gotta trust your quarterback. He's gonna come back, he's gonna be healthy, he works hard, he's a great teammate, he does all the intangible things really, really well. And I think they, you know, got to trust him, can put some guys, you know, get, get help around them uh, and continue to grow with these teams. I think when you sign, you know, your, your key guys to contracts, Saquon, uh, Dexter Lawrence, you know, Daniel, you know, sign a waller, like you put these guys, you keep got to adding guys around them and, and fit it. You know, you don't just say, hey, you know, switch it up right away because you have one bad year.
1: You're obviously a Giants guy, you know the the, the whole career. You 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 sound like a fan. Do you live or die with uh with some of these results? Are you are you a legit fan like that?
2: Uh, I think it's different when you played for a team, and and so I I I resonate with the players. I I you know think about what they're going through. I talked I'm I'm you know pals with Daniel Jones. I talked with Saquon and Sterling Shepherd, the guys who I played with, and so I feel for them. I feel for more of the players than like the die hard fans that have been watching the Giants for 40 years and they go to every game and it's like the family tradition. Uh we go to the games when I'm there I'm cheering for them and I want them to win. You know, it's one of those deals if they happen to lose it's not going to ruin my Sunday, my Monday, my Tuesday. It used to when as a player it does and I think i am just it was you know it's stressful it's stressful for my family it's stressful for my wife like to the extreme it's you know it like ruins the rest of your week as a player so i'm like i don't i don't want to do that uh anymore i'm i'm a fan i root for them i'm there to support them uh want them to do well you know just you know try to do anything be there for them in any possible way but i'm not going
1: to let it kind of ruin my my week if things don't go well Andrew, I've I have one more question. I, I loved listening to you talk about sort of growing up, you know, with your uh, uh with, with your dad and with the older brothers and stuff. But my earliest football memory is 1974, the Clinton Longley Thanksgiving game. What's what's your earliest football memory?
2: Oh um what is my earliest football memory? That's that's a uh that's a tough question. I, I think for me, I mean it's probably not watching a game, it's more being being with my brothers, we had a great front yard. We'd have these pickup football games. And you got to understand, I'm five years younger than Peyton. I'm seven years younger than Cooper. So it's really all their friends are around. And, and these are my these are my heroes. These are my role models right here. These are the ones, you know, I'm getting to watch them play eighth grade uh, football and, and seventh grade football, going to their games, watching their basketball games. And for me to be there and every once in, if there was an odd number, I might get it. I might get asked to come and play with them. Uh, most times, I was just asked to be the permanent center for both sides. <laughs> not that, not that fun. Center was eligible back then, so I, I, you know, every once in a while, I might get a little, you know, center wheel route down the left sideline and 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 get it. But it was more being outside, being with my brothers who I looked up to so much, and, and just playing football, playing pickup basketball, playing playing sports um kind of just you know pick up games was what i love love to do and and probably some of my fondest
1: memories i envision your dad peeking out the window to make sure everybody's running the proper routes
2: he was kind of you know he would help coordinate it some sometimes he would play permanent quarterback uh, (laughs) that's a a pretty good permanent quarterback that's pretty (laughs) good pretty good (laughs) good permanent quarterback uh a good day you know that was fun
0: now when you retired um you know there there wasn't really an expectation that you necessarily would go into media did you have opportunities to do games on sundays or you know or, or other uh, what kind of chances did you get who who came after you
2: i really i really you know um said i have no no interest in doing that I, I, I first off i i do not and still don't uh, feel that i'd be very good at it that's just not my personality, not, not something I would um, think I would just in that normal way of broadcasting would be good. I think it'd be a lot of, a lot of prep. I think it'd be stressful on me. You'd be traveling all the time. I I think it would have a big uh, impact on just my family life and my happiness and would not, you know, would not enjoy it. Um, And so I never pursued that. I think, I think having Peyton retired five years before me, and this, we talked about it a bunch. He got, he got pursued a bunch. He, you know, had options and we, we talked through a lot of those scenarios and what was going on. And and it always kind of came back to, you know, do you, do you want to do this? Do you think you'll be good at it? And do you truly want to do it? um, And, and, and miss time with your kids and being their coach and, you know, you're going to miss out on a lot of, a lot of family life. And, and so I think, having my dad kind of go through that same scenario and make the decision that he made had a big impact on us and, and our decision-making.
0: And, but now you're everywhere. And, and and so the question I have for you is, what do you want to do next? Like, what is the thing that is you kind of, now that you've gotten into it, you say, you know what, I'd like to try to do this.
2: I don't know. I don't know if there's something specific. And I think, I, I think I'm, I'm willing to kind of listen to all sorts of opportunities. Um, and I, I truly love what I'm doing. I like I like what I'm doing with Peyton. You know, it's just the idea of, of, you know, doing something that we did as kids and we still get to do it again now. And and watching football, staying involved in the game, which is what we've been working at this and playing this sport for so long. It's what we know. Get to still talk with some of the coaches, some of the players, you know, uh here, ex-teammates, uh, ex-coaches. Uh, executives talk about, hey, we watch the game and love what you're doing. They give, you know, sometimes they're the ones that, hey, you should try this or, hey, you know, ideas. I'm like, all right, yeah, I can take that to Peyton and take that to things uh, to to the producers. So, I enjoy I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm not, I don't know if I'm looking for too much more than what I I'm already doing. I get to coach my kids in their sports. I'm home, you know, most nights for for dinner and you know travel around a little bit, but. Kind of get to pick and choose what I what I want to travel around for, and can can you know base it around my schedule, so I can I can still go to Giants games, bring my kids to Giants games, and and root for them, and still do Monday nights with Peyton.
0: Yeah, my last thing is, why aren't you as offended? as Peyton is when there's any kind of bad football play, because Peyton (laughs) takes it very personal.
2: I think I have to be the one to call out Peyton on it and to tell the fans, let's notice what's going on right here. And I think that's just like the little brother, Uh, you know, I'm still kind of the annoying little brother to, to him that used to just find ways to, get him, get him fired up or get him, uh, you know, just kind of like, you know, flustered a little bit. And so I, I see it. And I think just, uh, I think as, as I see bad football being played or bad clock management going on, like the smile comes on my face a little bit, knowing <laughs> what's about to happen to Peyton. And there's a chance his head could explode on live TV. Like that, that excites me a little bit.
0: And that'd be good for the board.
2: Yeah, it would be good for the board. (laughs) If I could get the uh, prediction panel, you know, giant head of him to like explode somehow, that would be, that's, that's next level. Good idea. See, this is how the ideas start coming.
1: You know, right there. Eli, I want to let you go, but you mentioned uh, coaching your kids. And I'm just wondering what your demeanor is like on the sidelines. You're not like coach Coughlin, are you? I'm not, I'm not like coach Coughlin. Uh, I am, uh, I'm
2: pretty kind of sarcastic with the kids. Um, and you know try to just get them to enjoy playing sports and I usually stop like I, I you know I've, I got some basketball I'm coaching my, my four and a half year old son which is total chaos Uh doing some <laughs> of the girls and they're you know third grade maybe the fifth grade team we'll, we'll see how that goes but usually I, what I've learned is kind of fourth grade I usually stop that's when the parents might email you complaining about playing time or have suggestions. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't, I'm not, you know, first off, how'd you get my email? Second off, like, I'm not, I'm not doing that, uh, going that route. It's I, 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 I want all these kids to come in, have fun, learn some aspects of the game Um and enjoy, you know, meeting new kids, being around them, you know, and, and having a great team environment and, and supporting each other. I'm big on high fiving after someone makes a goal. Play play kind of great defense. I, I for some reason I think more about defense than offense. And and you know, putting in great plays. I'm more kind of an effort. Uh, you know, if, if if the team doesn't score, like we can't lose this game. That, that's my mindset.
0: Excellent, Eli. We really appreciate you being the big yet, and uh, we wish you continued success. Maybe another sports Emmy. You definitely already have. Uh, I don't know if John has a vote, but he would definitely. Get, I, I like it too. But John is in love with the uh, Manicast. cast. I, I like haven't it a heard, lot as well. Don't I've been very positive. But uh, I haven't John heard a Buck vote. and
1: Aikman in two years, Andrew. Not in two years. Wow! Wow! Thank you.
0: <laughs> but I, they're not on. Wait, hold on. Eli has a pretty good gig. I mean, I don't know if you've looked at the schedule. They're like, you know, they do ten games. The other games, you do it, but on mute or you you listen to I, Kevin Harlan on radio.
1: I DVR the week before, just watch it again. Oh, you rewatch you it. Yes. Big, <laughs> yeah, yes. that's a big. fan. <laughs> great <laughs> idea. I love it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, a ton, fun. Eli. Appreciate it, Andrew. That 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 was a uh, special for me. I I watch. I do watch. Manning cast every, every week that they're on. I, I enjoy doing that. But the, the thing that uh most impressed me about that is something that I don't think the listeners heard. I, we said, we said we were going to do the interview at 12 noon and all of a sudden at 11 54, six minutes early, the master board says Eli's in the waiting room. Like it, it's a coach Coughlin thing. Like he, he had to be there early. He couldn't just get there right at noon. It's amazing. Yeah and then I get a
0: text at like 11:58 he's, he's like Eli's on. I'm like all right, I better get on. And you know what <laughs> a lot of weeks I'm not as prepared. I had everything ready to go. So we were there but uh yeah, Coughlin time, he was there 5 minutes early. And here's the thing, it comes across on the Manning cast. I mean, Eli is just very comfortable in his own skin. And you know, I know like you know, we've been around a lot of professional athletes um and you know, some, you know, you'd think like, oh, these guys are so successful. They must be, some of them aren't as comfortable in their own skin. And Eli, especially, you know, he just knows himself very well. He knows what he likes and it comes across. That's what makes them very likable. And look, at the end of the day, for all these guys, how they're looked upon is the success they had. Like to me, Eli, borderline Hall of Famer, but definitely a legend. Borderline, like Eli's
1: in the Hall of Fame. Totally.
0: Yeah. I'd probably, listen, thanks for coming on, Eli. I would say not a hall of famer, but a legend. <laughs> That's the difference I would say. Like, I don't know if he had a hall, he won two super bowls and legendary. Like he's a legend. I think the, the thing about as a, I'm a baseball hall of fame voter, if you call somebody a legend, but you don't think I'm a hall of famer, it's a compliment, but I, he might be a hall of famer. I, I'd have
1: to study and talk to Peter King. Wait, you're you, you're still a baseball hall of fame voter. Yes. Did you vote for Adley Rushman this year?
0: All right, with that, we got to go to Call of the
1: Week. Call Call of the Week! Andrew, if you were watching FS1 earlier this week, before the Michigan-St. John's game, before the Gavit Games, famed actress Jean Louisa Kelly came out and sang the National Anthem. Here's Jean Louisa Kelly singing our National Anthem. Oh, say can you see the say. Jeanne Louisa Kelly, the national there. Andrew, uh, you, you of course know Jean Louisa Kelly, Jimmy Bitaro's wife. Jimmy Bitaro, the head of ESPN, Fox Sports, uh, uh, having Jimmy Bitaro on their on their air, I, I I thought that was worthy of a call of the week.
0: Yeah, I always thought there's a big rivalry between ESPN and FS1 and Fox, um, but Eric Shanks and company, uh, they're doing it, doing doing right and great voice. Great voice, uh. So, uh,
1: very, very nice little call of the week. Well, we are at the end of our uh, podcast. Thank you all for making it. Uh, this was a long one, but I, I, th- I thought it was good. Eli was fantastic. You're just a tremendous guest, and uh, I, I let you do a couple of laps for a victory for the ESPN DTC. So I hope you appreciated that.
0: I mean, hopefully, if, when it comes to fruition, if we're still doing this podcast and when it does, um, then hopefully a little more gracious i gotta be honest if it were me i'd be gracious i'd be like
1: you're right great job you're we'll see we'll, we'll see we'll see i, I still have hopes out the comcast will squash it somehow so we'll we'll we'll, we'll see
0: and you're not supposed to root in the press box thanks everybody thanks to eli manning and company uh we have to always of course thank our uh the person who puts it all together You see wyatt and then master of the board chris mason like rate comment we appreciate all of you